Hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, November 25th, and this is special episode number 743 of the podcast. Earlier, at the beginning of this holiday weekend, came upon a Facebook posting by my friend and Film Wax friend, Doug Block, the filmmaker, who posted about the passing of another mutual friend and filmmaker, Lucia Small. Uh, I was very sad, and I, I guess I knew Lucia was fighting some illness over the years because she alluded to it sometimes in a subtle way, never got specific, and I never quite felt too comfortable or that close enough to ask her to go into more specific uh, detail about it. I probably saw her socially maybe a half a dozen times. She did the podcast on two occasions, and I'm going to uh, play those two segments momentarily. She was a really special person and also a really great filmmaker. She was based in the Boston area, as far as I know, and at some point or other had, as a young emerging filmmaker, had met and partnered up with the documentary, the personal documentary filmmaker, Ed Pincus. Together they made a couple of films, including The Axe in the Attic, which came out uh, in 2007. In fact, it was with the presentation of that documentary at the New York Film Festival, which presented the opportunity to first meet her. Uh, we met at the end of that film uh, screening and ended up going to a festival-like party afterwards together. She asked me if I'd join her, and we ended up going together and got to know each other a bit and then saw each other socially over uh, some some time. I think she was even living in New York for some periods of time or coming in quite frequently. And then, you know, there were mutual friends. Uh, some years later, uh, Lucia and Ed again collaborated on another personal document. Well, The Axe in the Attic was about Katrina, that was out, came out in 2007. And then some years later, they collaborated on another film called One Cut, One Life. And that was in 2014. And Lucia came on. And that's what you're going to hear, two conversations from that period of time. She was also helping to connect me with Ed Pincus. And I think I emailed with Ed a couple of times in hopes of somehow figuring out how to get him on to film wax. But he himself was sick at the time and ultimately did pass away, um, albeit older than, than Lucia is or was uh, when she died a couple of days ago at the age of 59. Her first film was called My Father the Genius, and that kind of put her on the map as a personal documentary filmmaker herself. Uh, and now, through good fortune, I suppose, she was able to create one more documentary which has been really well received called Girl Talk. And I have not had the opportunity to see that documentary yet, but coincidentally uh, the producer of that documentary is also was a uh, one of the producers on uh, There There, a film that we just highlighted on the last episode of this podcast uh, with Jason Schwartzman and uh, Lily Taylor. So... This evening, I ran home and I dug out of my DVD collection, my Blu-ray and DVD collection, because I'm still 
old school in that way. And I pulled out several documentaries of, of, of Lucia's that I had been holding on to, including The Axe in the Attic, One Cut, One Life, which is, I think, my favorite film, and My Father the Genius. And we're going we're gonna to sort of watch these. And then hopefully I'll get a copy of uh, Girl Talk, which is about, I think, young females that are on a debate team, a high school debate team or a college debate team, I'm not sure. Uh, again, I haven't seen that one yet. But I do did want to put together this special episode uh, with, about Lucia. I think you'll get a great sense of what a warm, intelligent, sweet-natured, funny person and so talented Lucia was. So this is... Uh, so the first conversation was from episode 241 from September of 2014. So I had known her already seven years before she came on the first time. The second visit was not that long later. It was on episode 293 in May of 2015. So this is my condolence to her and to her friends, that I, many of whom I know from the film community, the documentary community, uh, this episode is dedicated to Lucia and, of course, to those who loved her. line of work it's so personal and yet it's for the world to see and you shape it and you form it but you still feel very exposed and even when people respond positively to it it's um well I like to say it's the third in a trilogy in part because I think I'm done exploring this form but I think in part because I think I can't do another one like this. It's just too trying. It's, it's um, no, it, you know, there's, when you're in the edit room and you're working it's, and you're filming, it's, it's kind of interesting because you're trying to look at yourself as a character, as the world would see you, and try not to judge yourself. And um, that's a real interesting challenge and of you know how you perceive yourself how others perceive yourself um you want to make it a universal story so um at least i always do when i uh, when i insert myself in my work so that's always at the back of my mind how does this feel universal and one of the things that you have to keep saying is you're trying to be as vulnerable as you would like a subject to be with you i mean so many documentarians i mean the greatest moments in documentary are when you have such vulnerability with your characters. So I always try to make that happen within myself. And it's, I'm not as kind to myself as I am to others, actually. You know, you judge yourself, you judge your voice, you judge, you worry about perceptions, about how people, you know, will, will look at you. And you are going to be judged. And it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting path. And... This this particular piece, that was what Ed and I were both interested in, is how authentic can you get, how exposed, how how intimate can you can you um reveal yourself 
as the director, it's it's a it's an incredibly complicated, uh, but yeah, but um, rewarding experience. I mean, to work with Ed considered the father of this form, who had a very raw, raw first magnum opus, you know. The Diaries. Diaries. And... Hmm. Well, it's interesting because um, when you bring this up about how transparent you try to be um, or open, it's interesting because you still have, a, you still have uh, parameters because, you know, you're telling this particular story... Or you've told these particular stories in this trilogy, as you refer to it, and then people that, like like myself, I suppose, that have um, watched them and see how much filmmakers like yourself and Ed have exposed themselves. We feel, oh, well, they exposed themselves completely, and you know, they're a hundred percent available. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily true. You do have parts of your life that are your own that you have to kind of keep to yourself. You know, and. Uh, but it, the perception is they're so available. I want, you know, they're available to me in that way. And, you know, even though, you you know, on some level, of course, you, you, you're not. You're still just telling a particular story. Yes. Um, uh, um, so, you, you you know, if I ask you how you're doing and you have um, some sort of other issues going on, maybe emotionally, physically, what have you, it's, it's not necessarily to be shared, even though I, I, I might just have to wait for that documentary to come out. <laughs> if it does. Well, if it does, it will be when I'm a lot older, I think. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I am interested in is sort of this notion of truth and getting close to the truth and how do you do that in this form. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, memoirs, you can get really personal and, and people, it's yeah. a very internal experience reading a memoir it's not the same experience when you're in a theater or even watching a film. It's, it's, it's a different kind of experience. So mm -hmm. there's both this challenge to be, as we say, intimate or authentic, and then there's this challenge to entertain in a different way mm -hmm. than a novel. And I'm not saying, or a memoir, I'm not saying that's not, they do that too. They want to create a story. They, they sort of choose what they're going to include, what they're going to exclude, etc. But it's, it's more of a private space with a book. So it's true. And I mean, you know, and on a very frank level, I mean, films are just marketed in a very much more, uh, Hmm. Different. It's in a, just a different way. You know, it's, it's yeah. hard to compare the two mediums, even though there's this, there is that similarity, you know, is of, 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 uh, revealing oneself, you know, uh, also, I mean, you know, in a memoir, I suppose, um, you can write about very personal things and how you handle, uh, including other, other people in your life in that memoir. And then, then that story, uh, is similar to what you have to do. I mean, you're skirting a lot when you're editing this film, you know, not only are you telling your story, Ed's telling his story because it is a co-directed film, but, mm -hmm. You know, there's Jane's story is in there, wrapped around, and and there's a there's this enormous tension. Jane is Ed's wife mm -hmm. of 50 years. He's dying. We can just say that that the um, you're in a kind of in a rush to uh, finish the film as much as you can anyway, while Ed is uh, able to do so. And Jane resents it because, you know, this is <laughs> that time where she probably wants him for herself. And to further complicate it, there is a history of this tension, even when Ed was he healthy uh, in, in your 
shared relationships, right? So that's that's sort of some of the background too, which I guess right and shared relationships with me. But I, I had to. I, it took me a long time to learn that it wasn't just me; that it was other filmmakers that he collaborated with. Um, oh yeah, that it had always been, and I I I thought it was more personal, but it wasn't. I right. mean, yeah. yes, it was personal in a different way because I was a younger woman, and and we got along so well, and. I was bringing, you know, people say I was bringing him back to film, although, I mean, he was very dogged about wanting to come back and wanting and so excited about the prospect of being creative again. So what that, you were saying, he's re- he was initially reluctant or? No, he he wasn't initially reluctant. Okay. Jane was. Um, yeah. Wait. She liked him planting flowers. She liked him closer to home, I believe. That's what she told me. And um, she didn't want him to go away. At any point, even when she was a very young woman and, and raising her two children. I mean, they didn't even have children at the point he first went to do his first film at age 27. And she, it was a very hard, taxing time and draining time on their marriage. I mean, mm. that's, that's, that was their struggle as revealed in diaries many years later. But yeah. it started... It started when he made his first film. I understand, long before you entered the picture. But I yes. do want to mention, though, and I, for the sake of exactly what you started talking about in terms of transparency, though, you 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 are very um, you're attractive younger woman, and uh, and also there is an appeal to your your talent and your openness as a human being. And um, also, if you see diaries, which I did, you know there is some history there too of Ed's stepping out of his marriage. I don't want to. I don't want to in any way portray him as a philanderer because I don't believe that's any way accurate. I actually think that it was very contextual to the time, to his, to their relationship, to the people in their lives. But I mean, I do think she struggled with that, and probably. I mean, they had what some people call an open marriage. I mean, Jane was seeking relations outside her marriage as well, and Ed probably more more frequently, much more frequently. So yes, there was a history. There was a long history in that. And I wasn't, I wasn't interested in any of that triangulation at all. And that was something Ed and I established early on, but it was interesting when I was going back to this, this footage from 10 years ago, there's some clips and it's interesting. My nervousness about his excitement translates more as young girl admiring Ed. It was so fascinating to watch how my reserve translated on screen. And Mm -hmm. so I had to step back and say, Oh, I had, I hadn't even realized how some of my connection to him might have been translated to him and, and to Jane. Um, I was, you know, excited. I just finished my first, directing my first film. I had worked for years for other people, helping them make their work. And here I had just finished a film about my father, and I was, and the film had done pretty well. It had won several awards, and I was, I was sort of ready to take, ready to take documentary on. And here was a somewhat established filmmaker who who wanted to work with me. So it was kind of a, mm-hmm. it was a huge. Um, honor but then it was i i would later say was it an honor or was it a curse it was it was hard because he had been a master and he had written the book and he had he had a legacy with people who had 
a history, a memory of, of history and documentary and, and knew his role. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I was responding to Ross McElwee in a way. I, I loved Sherman's March. Mm. I, I thought it was so life transforming when I saw it. And, um, that along with some other personal work, um, crumb, for example, I thought was an fascinating film at the time. And so I was being influenced by those works. I didn't understand that Ross was in a way responding to Ed's uber rawness in diaries, almost unguardedness. And, and Ross responded to that in a way with more voiceover with a character that he played and with a lot more guidance through the footage that, that he was filming. And so I was, more, I was interested in actually taking some of that guidance away and sort of letting, letting less, having less of my voice intervene with my, my film about my father. And so it was just, it was a full circle and it, it was a coincidence that we met uh, on this jury, but it was, it was something that was very exciting to me at the time, but nerve wracking because I understood that Jane, Jane was always in the picture um, if I signed up to work with Ed, I was working with Jane and navigating around her ambivalence. So, yes. At what point uh, did you decide to include the two deaths um, that happened? You mean the deaths of Karen, Karen and Schmier, Susan? Susan Wolf. Susan Wolf. Pardon me, I'm sorry. Karen Schmier and Susan Wolf. Um, and, yeah, describe what went into that, that choice and that uh, that there, there's there's a sort of a another thread of the, in the film uh, about the, your loss of two, these two friends during this time as well. Right. Um, well, I didn't really want to make a film about their path. They're dying. They're being killed. They 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 were killed within seven weeks of each other. Um, one by a, in a domestic, you know, Susan was killed by an ex-lover and Karen was killed by this crazy, random, horrible accident, fluke accident, but an accident that was associated with a petty robbery of, and a high speed chase on the Upper West Side. It was, it was one block from our apartment. So I I think that both of those were, those were incredibly shocking experience. And I mean, horrible tragedies that these beautiful women lost their lives so early and I as a personal documentary filmmaker I actually didn't want to tell this story Mm -hmm. I didn't I it it impacted me so personally um and I saw the um the community of friends that came together around that both of their deaths um particular Karen's death um as it relates to my social milieu, um, a lot of mutual friends. We were all sharing this grieving period after Karen was suddenly killed. Susan, I didn't know as many as her fr- many as many of her friends, but I did become part of a, a network of friends too. I, I wanted to respect everybody in that circle, and so pulling out a camera at that time felt yeah. very questionable. Right. Very questionable. I mean, and you see a scene in the film. It's like almost two months after both of them passed that I finally pulled out the camera. Um, part in part because peers were encouraging me. I mean, Ed was encouraging me just to 
film it while it was happening and processing my grief. And even if it was to just put it away, I mean, Doug Block too is a friend of mine and he encouraged me too. Mm -hmm. So I, I reluctantly pulled it out and we had to do careful editing to sort of edit around how many apologies I had on the camera. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. This doesn't feel right. But, um, it felt like, it felt like I wasn't really going to make a film about that. And then when Ed was diagnosed with this, you know, Ed was first diagnosed with Parkinson's. Right. And he had already been diagnosed with Parkinson's when my friends were killed. And, um, and so then he got this diagnosis, like shortly after Karen was killed, of this terminal illness mm. and MDS. And, and so we started, I just, it was very organic. I started to, he started to realize that something I had been nudging him to do for many years is to get his films all in order for prosperity, that he started to think, okay, I need to do this. I need to do this now while I'm feeling healthy and I can travel back and forth to New York. It was an organic conversation that happened. Like, what about that film idea that we had where we try to do two people's lives and I film you and you film me? And, and it seemed like it seemed like it had to have their stories in it. It was the only reason I wanted to... I mean, I, I wanted to do a film about, about life in the face of death when Ed got diagnosed because I had, I had learned so much about death in life and the result and how you have to go on and how life goes on and, and, but how it also totally transforms your world and totally shifts your, your view. So it was, it evolved. I think it was the biggest challenge of the film about how to insert that story because Ed's dying was clearly the, the current drama, if you will, the current story, if you will, that was happening as we were filming and him navigating around his health issues and Jane's concerns and ambivalence towards the film, which clearly become a threat in the film too. And what is too private to make public themes that we were always interested in, started to emerge. And, and, and so in particular, this, this, these two stories, I, I just, they were so delicate to me mm -hmm. and yet Ed's story and Ed's story clearly trumped their story at the moment mm -hmm. in terms of that was my past. That is my past. This was his presence. Yeah. And this was his present reality. And so it was, you know, I'm talking in terms of story structure here and not in terms of value of life and death and who's, you know, I'm, I'm talking in terms of crafting a film around it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, though, from the other angle, though, you're, there are not too many filmmakers that could, uh, where I don't think it'll occur to a lot of people watching the film, like, oh, that must have been uh, sticky, you know what I mean, <laughs> to, to start to to uh, discuss these two deaths uh, of your friends or maybe too soon or any of those things, because we are on your side. You established this very successfully, um, not only in, within the context of this film, one cut, one life, but also just for those who've seen your films, we, we know you, we trust you. We understand how painful 
you know, it is. And so you have that kind of ability <laughs> yes. where, you know, and I don't know if it would work as quite so well uh, with just any filmmaker, you know? Well, well, thank you, Adam. I mean, I, I, I mean, some people trust me, some people don't, but I, I hope, I hope that people, everyone understands that I am trying to be honest and, and, and get to the truth of it. I mean, yeah. Not to bring in an old film that people won't be seeing, but Axe in the Attic was pretty controversial in terms of my putting yes. myself and Ed in the film itself. Some people loved it. Some people really didn't, strongly didn't. It was it was always the prickly yeah. challenge to, to trying to tell the story of the diaspora of Hurricane Katrina. But again, it's about that vulnerability. We felt like we were finding subjects at the, you know, at the brink of exhaustion with total exasperation in their lives. They were incredibly vulnerable. They were in a state of shock. And we felt it was our duty to sort of reveal our vulnerabilities, not to trump their vulnerabilities or even compare our vulnerabilities to them, but just to honor their sharing with us. Yeah. Their ability to to trust us. So we felt that would be a way for others who may be weren't on the ground, but wish they had been or wish they had done something, but to, to make it, you know, in a way that same feeling when you're on a subway and someone's begging you for money and in clearly in need, totally in need of every help piece of help you can give them quarters, dimes, hundred dollar bills. I mean, and what do we do as human beings? We, we sort of evaluate, should I give this person money? Can I give this person money? What's my role as witness? What do I do? I mean, and as a documentarian, that's just, that's always what we're talking about. I mean, even when we're not filming ourselves, we're, we're thinking about that in terms of our subjects. I mean, what is our role? Is our role just to tell the story? Or do we, do we see when our subjects are in complete poverty, do we try to help them? And it's, it's, it's it's a very interesting dilemma that many documentaries feel documentarians are front, confronted with if they're doing, especially when they're doing cinema verite in the field um, of war torn areas and and mm-hmm. more many more complicated economically difficult situations. I mean, right. I think the. The documentaries that are about political figures or, 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 or stars or people that have more access to privilege um, and financial stability, I think those are those are a little different. But right, we allow, we, right, we will we'll allow you to uh, show some angst during in those films. Yeah, uh, and but, we'll, we'll but, allow you. To, you yeah. We'll allow you to challenge the heads of the banks with inside job. You know, we'll yeah. allow you to get a little. Oh, I see. Right. Prickly with them, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, to get a little Alex Gibney on them. Yeah. Um, this, was, this was Charles Ferguson, but yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, no, no. I know. I'm just respectfully, saying, I, but, respectfully, I bow down to them, but I, yeah. I, 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 that's not the kind of filmmaker I am. No, and, no, no. And it's. I think also you had the challenge. I think it was still relatively fresh wound, perhaps. I mean, yes. uh, You know, nobody. Just time helps, you know, and people will look yes. back at Acts in the Attic in a different light. Yes. You know what? We haven't even said the name of the film yet. I might have said it earlier, but it, if, yeah, I, I will in the intro, too. So there's always that. Oh, okay. okay. That's great. That's one great. Of the, I, yeah. One of the side effects of this type of podcast that I do is that I find it much smoother just to start talking 
Okay. Um, then to do a, an abrupt sort of, you know, like clapboard type of start to the show because it just eases the way into the conversation, smoother way. And what will happen is because it's not normal in normal conversation to say, well, we're discussing my film, One Cut, One Life, you right, know, directed right, right. by, co-directed by Ed Pincus and Lucia Small. But I'd rather, in other words, happen what just happened, which is we talk for, you know, a half hour and then, but it's really substantial uh, okay. and lose some of the marketing at the top because, but, because I can, I can fix it uh, later. So, yeah, no, I know, I know. Yeah. I'm, I just, but I'm it good. Is good I'm to, but it, right. But you can insert it throughout. And it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, starting a conversation often, I want to have the camera rolling. Right. I'm meeting people because some of the times yes. that's the, that's the time before you start, typically start rolling the camera and, 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 you know, turn the camera off. It's, it's amazing what happens before and after and, you know, how natural people are. And, and that's, that's really kind of what we were trying to deal with in one cut, one life, you know, in this film, um, we were trying to not keep the cameras rolling all the time because we didn't, it was too exhausting. And, and, and we really did have to respect Jane's privacy. There were a lot of times I would not roll the camera, even though there were some interesting things happen just, just to balance life with film. Right. And you had to, re- you constantly had to calibrate with her. So it couldn't, yeah. it couldn't, be, done. I, it couldn't be done when she knows you're going to use the footage. So it had to be done off camera. Uh, just so you guys are kind of, you know, connected and emotionally. Yeah, no, I, I, that comes yeah, through. That, was... that 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 comes through very very well in the in in the um, in the film. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We see that you're struggling with making sure that she's okay, uh, and that she you there's this trust and that's maintained. You know. You say you want a non-intimate relationship that feels like an intimate relationship. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Wait, did you turn this off? You turned it off. I did. Yeah. Were you filming me? I don't know. It's going to be different. You're not going to have the same abilities that you had. And I believe it was her idea to go ahead with this film. And, um... It was both our ideas. Well... Two days after they had found Susan, I went over to pick up Angus. Angus would shake all night long, and I'd sleep with him and hold him. This is my shrine of Susan and of Karen. You know, we, we, we became... We became close, and um, and it was when I finally decided to turn the camera off entirely. I mean, she was still asking me to turn it off sometimes, and and I think at that point I said, you know, we have a film, and I don't, I'm not interested in filming him up until the point he he's so sick. Um, I wanted the memory of Ed to be vibrant and alive, and and he was. Yes, he was, and. Um, you know, I mean, I think when people watch diaries, they wonder about who he is. He's more he's more guarded, even though he feels like, I mean, he's on camera a lot. But he's younger, and he's, he's just not, he's not as vulnerable as he was when he was sick. And I think some of his, his more um, emotive sides come out 
he was he was going through you know obviously he was towards the end of his life and he was he was in in a different in a different a different mode and you know yet he's still at yet you know one of the most important things is he's I'm a filmmaker that's what I do and he'd often say Lucia you know maybe people won't understand this but we're committed to trying and that was what I I loved about him he wasn't about the end game he was I mean he was and he wasn't but he was about being committed to taking huge risks and yet he always recognized that in a, in part his um his more comfortable economic situation allowed him to do that and he often would say you know you're the bigger risk taker you don't have a husband you don't you know you're you're out on your own and um and I'd say well that's ridiculous but you know we'd have this ongoing conversation about right I mean, we're lucky. We're lucky we get to do what we do. I understand that. And he did too. And we're lucky to be able to share it with the world or, you know, with people who are interested in, in, in exploring the form of film as, as an art form, you know. So I don't know what I'm really trying to say here, but um, I just feel like we were why we connected, why we truly connected is we were both interested in really pushing boundaries in this form and putting ourselves on the line in that process only if it would help others. You know, I, I, for me, I mean, he, he also wanted to entertain. He said that every film he ever made was a comedy. And once people understand that they'll, you know, they'll understand everything. And in a way, we felt this was the comedy of our lives. Hmm. Um, the tragic comedy, maybe you want to say, but it was, it, there's some crazy stuff in this film. It's, um, I, I hope that people can relate to that in their own lives. I mean, we become very different people in our private worlds and we all have vulnerabilities. And here you have, you know, Jane Pink is the woman who helped write our bodies ourselves with 12 other women and helped inform the whole feminist movement. And she's vulnerable as a wife and, uh, and as a mother and as, as, and as a wife of a filmmaker who wants to film her. So, and she's vulnerable towards me as a younger woman who might threaten her position. So it, it's, it's, kind of, um, it's kind of an amazingly interesting form um, of trying to get to, to the truths of our lives. Um, and I think that part of our struggle is to sort of come to peace with hmm. the ambivalence we have, not just Jane's ambivalence, but the ambivalence we have ourselves in terms of what's, what's public, what's private, and what's authentic. I mean, I sort of, I kind of roll my eyes at reality TV shows because I feel like, you know, it's the new quote unquote documentary that many people are feeling is, is true to life. Now it's, it's totally well, disappeared from that. But initially right. when it was starting, right. there are some really good, there were some good reality TV shows. Mm -hmm. I believe I don't watch. Well, 16 and pregnant. I've watched that a couple of times. A good friend of mine makes that show. She's trying to, you know, inform people about trying options. Sneak, she's trying to sneak in some agenda in there. Some, yeah. She yeah. wanted, she wanted women to have, I mean, she's a strong feminist and she wanted women to have a choice. She wanted to have a woman have a choice that she got when she was 16 because she had guidance. Who is she? 
um, Dia Dia Sokol, who's in the Sokol Savage, who's who's seen in the film. She became a dear friend because she was we were mutual friends with Karen. Okay. And she's trying on her wedding dress, and mm. um, she comes to my house to comfort me. She's one of the she's one of the subjects in my in my film, who I became closer to as a result of Karen's passing. Well, again, uh, the name of the film is One Cut, One Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, referring, the title referring to a, um, a, a philosophical reference, right, to um, a martial art practice. Yeah, Aikido. Aikido. Um, one Cut. Yeah, it's a sword. A sword movement. And I don't want to butcher it either. I mean, um, Ed used to also say, it's not... Taekwondo, it's Aikido. I'd like to uh, read this quote because sure. um, it comes up not in, in the film. The quote, though, for about the title is, there is, a no- there is this notion in Japanese swordsmanship called One Cut, One Life. Everything could be the last time. Everything counts. Everything has meaning. And um, it goes on, but I mean, um, I think that's um, you know very moving uh, mm-hmm. section of the film, too. Yeah, I, I, I'm learning that myself. Yeah, I'm learning that myself in the uh, in these days. Uh, what were you going to say? Oh no, um, go ahead. Yeah, and I was also going to say you. You, I'm um, sorry. Uh, you were mentioning Jane uh, before. She also was, you know, not only uh, the wife of a filmmaker, a feminist, all these different things. She was also uh, a kind of a, a about to lose her husband. So you know, there was that part of her vulnerability too, which. Um, yes. You know, you had to honor and, and yes. navigate, you know. Yes. Um, and and I, uh, the film is going to have its New York premiere in this little festival that's uh, playing at Lincoln Center, right? Called the New York Film Festival. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> tickets are sold out. <laughs> that's a nice problem. Uh, it's Yeah, it's- I don't want to. I mean, I think that standby is a good option. I know that. Um, the, I know that. You, a lot of people can get in and stand by. I'm hoping. So if you're if uh, you're listening and, and you're eager to see the film, and why wouldn't you, for God's sake? Uh, why wouldn't you be? Uh, it's it's Monday, September 29th at six o'clock at the uh, Eleanor Bunin Monroe Theater at Lincoln Center. You'll be there. Um, I will be there, and and Ed's son Ben Pincus, who's oh. an Aikido master, oh, right. will be there, and his daughter Sammy Pincus will also be there. Um, and my producer, Mary Kerr, will be there. So, um, now you didn't Jane, mention Jane, so I, I no Jane. Jane Jane does not want to come, and I, I respect that. Sure, she's um, yeah, yeah. But certainly, let's let's um, visit again, though, when you know uh, we have another part of the plan in place with the film, uh, meaning like a broadcast or you know maybe another festival or screening or. Well, this is, I mean, yeah, the New York Film Festival is such a lovely, lovely honor. I mean, it's huge. And I feel like this film is, is, is tough. It's, it's complicated and tough and funny, yet not funny. It's disturbing. Um, (laughs) You know, I've had many different definitions around it, but I like to think it's an affirmation of life. And it's sort of what we're all doing, all dealing with at different ages. And it's, 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 it was such a, I know Ed would be so proud that it's in the New York film festival. I mean, he, he had his first film black matches there. And then we, 
of course, played Axe in the Attic there. And just going back to New York Film Festival, it's, it's to me, I mean, it's been wonderful to, you know, to premiere at Full Frame and, and, and attend a few other festivals, but this has been particularly emotional for me. I mean, all of them are, actually. So what, what am I saying? Ed comes alive, and it's nice to have his legacy um, live. In the content and the form itself, that's what I like to say. That It is a film that um, experiments with two points of view, and it experiments. You know, not very many personal docs go there because it's really complicated to have two stories intertwined. It's, it's, it's not an... It was not an easy edit, but um, luckily, too, we had some some great help. We got into the Sundance Labs. That was that was like a highlight. They were able to help me find my voice because Ed's voice. We always have we always wanted to do Ed's voice first. We always wanted to tell Ed's stories first in case he got sicker and wasn't able to tell his. Like I knew I could pick up the film after he passed, so we always concentrated on that and so trying to find my voice in it and make it balance in a in a in a fluid way was a huge challenge and so I mean the fact that it came together and it was you know it's just it's just a nice story to have it play at the New York Film Festival so well congratulations and um yeah no I uh, I think it's wonderful, and it is great to see it back. After, and I uh, remember meeting you around the time of Axe in the Attic and really being impressed by, by that film as well when I saw it there. Well, thank you, Adam. You I know. Welcome. We met at the yeah. Tavern on the Green. That was fun. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe that'll happen again. I don't know. I'm yeah. Trying to, work, trying to work it so I get, get to go again. Because I don't think they've had the party at the uh, Tavern on the Green um, in quite a few years, so. Right, I know. I guess it's, it's back there. So, um, hey, so did we cover everything you wanted to cover? Yeah, I mean, honestly, was it an okay interview? I'm sorry. No, I'm just... it was lovely. It was lovely. I think. Okay. Um, no, I do think you're talking about navigating the personal documentary form is is important because you know there are a lot of filmmakers out there. I, I even think narrative filmmakers can can learn a thing or two. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think it was great. And, um, I'm very happy. I'm very happy that you were able to finally come on and we had, we finally got it together. Me too. I really appreciate your persistence and I appreciate your interest because, you know, it's, it's interesting the way I started it. You asked me how I'm doing and I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm really grateful that I got to do this film, like incredibly grateful, but it's, it's, it's challenging to, to be in the world without Ed. Yeah. And you know, Karen and, right. Yeah. I mean, and Karen and Susan. Susan. I mean, you, 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 you went through yeah. and then you wonder, you know, I mean, it's almost like un- uninformed to ask if this was cathartic because, uh, that level of, of, of loss and grief and, uh, you know, you just don't really rebound from that quite. You're, you, you become a changed person. Right. I don't, you know, I'm sure there's I mean, some catharsis too, but like get rid of all the pain that you, 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 in such a short amount of time, you know, had to encounter. My goodness. Yeah. I, I, I agree that, you know, one question that came out of an audience once was, did it help? And I was like, huh, 
I'm hoping it will help others, actually. Which would, I, which would in turn maybe help you, right? You know, knowing yeah, that. Yeah, that, that yeah. would be so, – so I'm living with a very um, real reality and not that – you know, everyone suffers. Everyone goes through their own trauma, I mean, or their own, their own journey. I mean, the, the film starts out with a quote, you know, and there could, there could be a novel by Tolstoy in everyone's life. And that is what I'm interested in. In everybody has these intricate threads that they navigate, you know, about life and death and loss and, yeah. and purpose and family and creativity. Not you know, or family and work. I mean, it's 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 a balancing act that we all sort of navigate in different economic tiers. But it's it's something that um, that is not cathartic actually it's um perhaps healing a little bit but it's also opening wounds so that's that's it's not running away from a pain and sort of facing it yeah very well said and i i think there's something to tearing the band-aid off in a way because you need to let a wound you need to expose it to oxygen you know and, and right. like light and let it just it takes a long time to heal but yeah, you're kind of you're, you're you're opening it up to 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 that to uh, they're creating a rawness in a way. I love the fact that you said light because I think that's probably a nice way to end this conversation because Ed was he said his films were about comedy but they were also always about the light mm-hmm. and um, I think if there's a healing aspect to it, it's that that we were able to that he was able to make a film in his last years that I was able to help that and that there is a lightness in this process and there is a lightness in the story and the humor and the, the errors that we make and the vulnerability and the absurdity that we go through as human beings, but also the deep value of our lives. So there is a lightness in this piece too, which there's beautiful shots of light. And I, I say, you know, give it, leave it to Ed Pincus to not be able to hold his camera on his shoulder anymore and, and shoot on a tripod some of the most beautiful shots in the film. Thank you, Lucia. Thank and you. One Cut, One Life. And we'll come back together soon, right? Okay, thanks a lot. Welcome, Lucia, back to this podcast, my friend Lucia. Thank you for having me back on this hot podcast. No, I'm happy because I'm not shouting into the Skype. I know, I know we were Skyping last time. I think yeah. it came out real well. We did one right around the New York Film Festival. Yeah, that was great. It had its New York premiere. Maybe it's 
Yeah, it's New York's premiere. Okay. I, my world premiere was at Full Frame. At Full Our, Frame. Yeah, Full it's Frame really, Film Festival. It's had a really nice, very, I had a prestigious run here so far, so that's good. But we're today meeting again for a second time, this time not through Skype, but actually in person in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, right on the water. Next this, to the ferry. This part, there are people actually boarding outside the window here. I can look down and I see people boarding the ferry, which I'm guessing it's not a water taxi, so I'm not sure where it goes. But uh, I've done this ride. I took Jacob uh, last winter. It was during the winter, though, I think. And it was just a cold day, but we got it. He was miserable. Couldn't have been less interested. It's so Like, Jacob, look at the today. views, though. I feel so Let's go. Why don't we do the rest? Let's go down. <laughs> Let's take the ferry. We'll do the show on the ferry. Sure. <laughs> So that that's laying out the groundwork. So we're back together. <laughs> One Cut, One Life opens this when? Wednesday, May the, uh, the is it the 13th? What the 13th. It? May 13th. And what we're going to talk about on this, in this segment of this episode with Lucia Smallwood is One Cut, One Life, which is your new do- newest documentary. You co-directed it with Ed Pincus. Uh, and um, we'll get into the, the specific uh, relationship that you guys have uh, that the film actually explores in great detail, as well as, um, you know, where, like, who did what, basically, to make this documentary, because Ed passed away about a year ago, more than that. November 5th, 2013. Excuse me. So it's it's going on a year and a half ago. It's, time just flies. You said 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We started making the film fall of 2011, but... We had footage from as far back as, well, diaries, mm-hmm. his film diaries, which goes back <laughs> to, to the, the 70s. Oh, 70s. Um, and 71 to 76 was when he filmed that, and that came out in the 80s. And it was a seminal, I guess that's a good term to use for that work, diaries, because well, I was explaining this to somebody just yesterday or the day before when I was at the Montclair Film Festival talking to filmmakers. About, Do you know who Ed Pincus is? Most people don't, it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. That's only be- also because he wasn't prolific in the latter years of his life, certainly, and he was not one to seek attention. He wasn't ubiquitous, like, let's say, even Al Maisel's was. But almost as important, I would say, he did, was doing something different than the Verite filmmakers. Ed Pincus was really, really the father of the personal documentary. He turned the camera to himself and his, and his life and his family, which really nobody had done in any emotional kind of way. Is that fair to say? In nonfiction. In nonfiction. I mean, there was the oh, David, what, Diaries, the... Holtzman? Yeah, David that, Holtzman's Diaries. Yeah, that was diaries. a mockumentary. Yeah, that was a mockumentary, but not, yeah. not in this way, and it was in a very raw form. I mean, his, he wanted to experiment with the idea of, can a life shown as rushes create a film and a story? Mm-hmm. Um, so his c- conceit was that he was going to film over the course of five years... Um, and then put it down for five years and start editing five years later and that it would be 10 years from the time that he had filmed it Mm -hmm. when people would see it and so they would be far removed and they wouldn't be as emotionally impacted, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But he did a little miscalculation there because the end of the film was filmed in 76 and it was only 81 when he it came out i see so it was so closer from 10 years it was from the closer, beginning of the yes. shoot than the mm-hmm. end which is okay mm-hmm. but that that's probably but he you know it. he was a philosopher yeah. and um i mean i think that was one of the ways we connected i studied political theory and philosophy where and was that you see santa cruz mm-hmm. um, oh. he was under you never had robert Durling, did you no i didn't do you know who he is i do he's a poet too 
Yeah, but I think he was in but, philosopher as well. But I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I, I, I asked him because his daughter and I went to college together. Oh, so okay. I got to meet him and visit his house. And, but do you, you, know, you say you know who he was? I know his okay. name. I don't. Okay. It was probably timing-wise, he was probably teaching at that time, is my guess. I studied with more of the political theorists. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't called political science there. It was called politics. And it was a lot of theory. Okay. Um, Marx, Hegel, you know, you sure? the, usual, the usual suspects. You know, philosophy, you, you try to seek wisdom. I mean, mm-hmm. and some of that self-examination. Mm-hmm. And is there? are you able to do that with distance? I mean, there's a lot of dialogue and dialectic around what the philosophers can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, Ed came from that background. He did not, he was getting a graduate degree, his PhD in philosophy when he picked up a camera. He hated studying philosophy. And, um, <laughs> but he, that informed a lot of his work. So initially he started out as your classic cinema verite filmmaker. He did, he went down to the, mm-hmm. you know, Mississippi, Natchez, Mississippi, during the height of the civil rights movement, and mm-hmm. did a classic sure. cinema verite yeah. piece. So, but he was married also to, and to Jane Pincus, right. who was part of the collection of our bodies ourselves. Yeah, and I they were, right. they were all talking about examines life and male privilege and okay, they so were you, feminists. yeah, feminists, and they were saying you're you're doing all these ethnographic films or these cinema verite films on other people. What about you and your white male privilege? Start start from yes, your so, inward and then work outward. Right. So it's, yes, it's not a bad idea. But nobody had really been doing that because no. it was just not a no. No. yeah. It wasn't the way things worked. No. But he, so he but in doing that, then they influenced him. I guess is what you're saying. But I don't think there were like I said. I don't know that there were other people who had done that very much, or certainly maybe mm-hmm. he was the first one that had gotten some acclaim mm-hmm. in his work, mm-hmm. you know, and some uh, attention for diaries. Right. I don't know how people he, can see it. But. He also, you know, he was also a professor at MIT. Okay. Um, and his students were Ross McAuley yeah. and Rob Moss and Michelle Negroponte. Mm-hmm. And um, then he went over to Harvard. I mean, Michael Goldman also. And, and then he went over to Harvard and he taught a fair amount of students there. Um, and one of them, his TA was Marco Williams. I mean, a lot of the people that are making films right now mm-hmm. that are that have worked in that form or are like i mean ross right is the leader well, in that form of course yeah oh yeah the personal documentary i mean maybe mm-hmm. popularized it mm-hmm. yeah right and not all of the students even though they may have been influenced by ed style that um it doesn't mean that they ended up being personal documentary filmmakers they they may have made films about other subjects but Marco's first film was about searching for our fathers, was a personal film. I mean, Michelle Negroponte as well, Ross as well, well certainly Ross, and even yeah. Rob. Well, Rob did two personal films and then Same River twice. So, yeah, I mean, it was in the zeitgeist. I yes. mean, and and was Ed, was, yeah. it, Ed was one of the first. And I think what happened is he shared the rushes with his students. And I think it was very um, pivotal for a lot of people to see him trying to do what he was trying to do. Well, you started with a very personal documentary, too, about your dad. I did, and I did not know Ed's work at all. Really? Okay. I was, my heroes were Ross. Okay, yeah. And That's right. Gen- Gen- we should also mention And Generation. Steve Asher, who it? he had worked with with Troublesome Creek. That was one of my favorite films. Jeannie Jordan and Steve Asher are husband-wife team, and mm-hmm. they did 
they, I think they won um, Sundance, and it mm-hmm. was like 96 or something like that. Huh. Okay. Beautiful film about a farm, um, hardship on a farm, and anyway. Yeah. But, but, we, we, but also, age-wise, you're at least a generation, if not two younger than Ed. One generation. One, one. I mean, I'm I'm a few years older no than his, his ch- child, <laughs> his okay. children. I'm few, right. two couple years older than his children. When did you meet? When did you meet him? What were the circumstances? I met him in 2001, the end of 2001, right after. I'm sorry, 2002, right after I had done the circuit with my father, the genius, and I was on a jury. Um, at the New England Film and Video Festival, which is defunct which, now, it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, it's evolved. But it was, too. it was. Um, anyway, it was, it was going through some changes at that time, and um, the new leader decided to invite Ed. And you know, people knew of Ed because of his book. I mean, um, the Guide to Filmmaking and Filmmakers Handbook. So he was invited, and I came, and I, I, I was like, oh yeah, Ed Pincus, I've, he- I've heard of him, I've heard of you. And we sat for four days on a film jury with some amazing filmmakers and mm-hmm. watched films for four days and actually responded very similarly. Um, he said I was more forgiving because we had this system where whoever was done watching the film, they would raise their hand. And Ed was always first with his hand and I was always last. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> anyway, I always felt like, yeah, it's really hard to judge in the first Five minutes, let alone the first twenty, I, I, I just know how hard it is to make this work, and I like to watch You're, all of it. If, but I know that's not possible. Watch all of the film. Right? No, no, I get it. Now it's easier to do that because we don't have to go somewhere to see the film as a uh, like if you're a juror or if you're. Well, a no, or I mean it's now the quantity is so enormous to sort through. I mean, I think that you have a similar challenge because you have, what is it now, 5,000 submissions, submissions, whereas even 10 years ago, you would have 500 to 1,000, you know. Right, I see. So. Right. Well, they just hire more people to screen. (laughs) There's just a lot of people screening. (laughs) There are. Which is indicative of, like, it rests on some people's tastes, you know. It rests on the initial screener's tastes a lot of times. uh, Completely. Let's not kid anybody there are direct pipelines too but the average young filmmaker or average filmmaker for that matter will send in their 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 film into to a film festival somebody will watch it but it's a it's not a programmer it's somebody from a screening committee that will either they're usually chosen because they have a sophisticated um, idea about what makes a good film or an you know an engaging film or something that would be appropriate in a film festival and so their thumbs up or thumbs down is the light. It means that it goes to the next level or not. Well, then here I want to give a plug to Slam Dance Film Festival because yeah. they were the ones to accept my father, the genius, and it was in right. it was in rough cut, well, fine cut uh-huh. when they accepted it. In fact, I had to race to finish it and literally carried the tape on mm-hmm. the plane there. Mm-hmm. And they had a policy, I don't know if they still do, I think they do, um, first-time filmmakers, Mm -hmm. and that they would watch the whole film, and they're near and dear to my heart because of that. What year was that? That was 2001. Right around that time. End of 2001. Right, makes sense, because that's when you were on the festival. Yeah. Among festivals. So you were in New England, 
Ed's lived has always lived there, right? He's always been uh, more or less in Massachusetts yeah. or now or in Vermont for yeah. many it was years. A, it was a it was a really interesting time because nine eleven had just happened. Yeah, and and Karen and I had Karen Schmier and I had worked mm-hmm. on the film the year before for a couple months, and then she went to work on Rob Moss's film Same River twice, mm-hmm. and then came to finish my film right about a week before nine eleven happened. Mm. And we had only a couple months to finish the film, and so it was a, it was a very intense time. Oh. Being paged, all these noises are coming from the river. Go ahead, continue. It's all right. Anyway, yeah. I just I just remember two thousand and one, yeah. um, and that time was pretty intense for us all. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole world was changing. And overnight, overnight, literally. Yes, and we were in our basement doing a rough cut screening when yeah, the towers dropped. Well, life continues. I mean, let's face it. I mean, initially it was like, why would I yeah. even want to make this film about my father? There's no relevance. It's ridiculous. This, this is interesting how this uh, conflict has come about a couple of times. The making being a personal storyteller <laughs> in this world is can be a challenge because. The world is, uh, we're, you know, a dramatic, it's a dramatic platform, which, exactly. which uh, is in the last decade or two seems to be, um, we're also much more, um, it seems to be engaged in the conversation because news is so ubiquitous and social media really has also made a play a big change where now we're all having yes. conversations in a very public way Correct. about stories that are unfolding in in real time. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a, another police officer shooting or a young African-American being killed, the, the conversation's happening right away. Right. And you can't then post, oh, I just, uh, my film just got rejected from such and such on the, the, anything that could be remotely looked at as self-promotional or self-oriented is, is looked on as narcissism and as, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It, it feels like that way to me. So... The idea of making a personal film, uh, now on a bigger scale, you've made a personal film and the world is going through all this drama and people are saying, why are you making a film that's so inward, you know, when when there's so much more going on in the world? Right. Aren't you you engaged in the world? What's wrong with you, Lucia? No, I think that, but that's been been the issue ever since Ed started to do it. I mean, he got slammed by Vincent Camby, that famous... um, The New York Times. Terrible New York Times review, but he also got celebrated in, in... Le Monde in Paris. So mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. he, you know, it, it's been a question from the beginning. And it's it's interesting because it's not like book memoirs. It's, it's Even very Even a fiction different. film. I mean, you can make a fiction film about yourself. Nobody's going to criticize right. it in that, in, in that but, way. But I do think that you bring up an interesting point about how it's changing. And I'm kind of, you know, you could say it's dying because of all the access now. And actually, I think new forms are emerging, these video diaries. And mm-hmm. people are starting to explore with what does a selfie mean? I mean, in many ways, these pers- first-person nonfiction films were, um, you a, know, a selfie on. Well, you know, steroids. every artist throughout <laughs> the history of the world did a self-portrait. You know, I mean, painters, yeah. poets. I mean, you who's go, to say what they would have done if they had the technology available to them? Right? They, exactly. They, they, they used what canvas they they had. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. It's interesting. But but still, in the face of nine eleven, my father, the genius, which had a lot of. Um, levity and it was experimenting with music and experimenting with animation it it, it, it felt a little bit like a big disconnect mm. but fortunately karen was so amazing and 
we, after sort of bumbling through the first week or so of how to manage our time and our energy, we we found a lot of um, grounding in the work. Mm-hmm. And I think we had this urgency to work harder. And I found, I mean, we were even working in my basement. And so there was a certain bunker feeling where mm, we were sort yeah, of that. down in the basement and yep. and finding some humor and, you know, finding a connection. I mean, that's where we became really close friends mm. Um, mm. in that in that period. Yeah. So. Karen, she's a well-known editor of documentary mm-hmm. films who died a few years ago. We talked about it a lot on, on the last episode because you were right. just coming out of uh, this really dark period, I think, uh, having lost a number of people in your life, including Ed, including Karen. Right, and another yes. very close friends. And, yes, yeah. and I just lost my poodle. Oh. Your poodle? Oh. Angus just Angus. passed away. And wasn't that dog? He's well, in the movie. Angus he's featured in the film. Yes, he's featured in the film. I'm sorry. He's the rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, he's mm-hmm. a great, wonderful, beautiful dog. But mm-hmm. he just, he's in doggy heaven now. We'll dedicate this, well, this segment yes, to uh, the memory of let's Angus. Let's do that. Angus Small, <laughs> Angus Wolf. He was. Oh, he was right. Susan's. He was yes, Susan's you, dog. You got that's right. Susan, that's right. The other that's what it was. I was friend who I, I lost. For a moment, I thought about Susan was your other friend who was was. I don't want to necessarily bring up uh, painful memories or painful feelings uh, intentionally, but um, well. Well, no, the film deals Angus, with it directly. Get to live with you for. A uh, bunch of time. Yes, Angus. You know, couldn't have been a better situation for Steve, him, yes. uh, considering. Steve Asher put it well. He was a prince amongst dogs and men. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, I guess uh, then, well, we know so you. We, Axe in the Attic was the first time you and Ed came together. Uh, and, uh, of course, that also, we, we don't have to get into any great detail about it, but I know that then... That was uh, obviously your collaboration about uh, the Katrina, and it was also controversial because of, of it was also as, since it was also a personal film. It was about Katrina, but it was also a personal film. You got a lot of well, lashback yeah. or whatever you want to call it. We were sort of trying to break the form of social yeah. issue, this right, um, and kind of mash the two forms together. Yeah. So well, the, it wasn't. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I, all I can say is uh, the programmers at the New York Film Festival obviously thought you were doing something worthwhile there, yes. uh, as did I. Yes. I enjoyed it, was... it tremendously. No, and I, I, I recently saw it, and um, I saw it actually short. Huh. They, they had a retrospective, well, not uh-huh. recently, but right after Hurricane Sandy. There yeah. was a retrospective. Actually, it was still, the city was still so devastated that very few people made it to Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. But, um, I watched it then, and I just—I'm very proud of what we did. Whether it it came out at an awkward time, yeah, or whatever, right. I think that the work that we were trying to do was Good. interesting. Good, because then important. Then that is a nice way to finish that part of the conversation mm-hmm. too, because you should be. Because at the end of the day, right, and nobody nobody remembers that controversy or the you know the criticism or the snarky remarks any of that anymore then they have nobody an opportunity but me no <laughs> I know, you've got the <laughs> so scars sad but but, but uh, no it's okay it was a good you, and, it was a good look, lesson yeah and now lesson. you're back though with a, a very i think gorgeous i mean strikingly beautiful film it's like a a poem it's like a robert longfellow maya angelou i have to be very diverse and very respectful here but you know it's this really beautiful 
poem. And uh, what a way to celebrate Ed Pincus. And well, I didn't know. I, got, I guess I met him around the time of the Acts in the Attic, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming maybe that night. And then uh, emailed with him because I think I was going to drive to Vermont or something crazy up oh, there at right, one point, right. knowing okay. that he wasn't 100% well. But I wanted, to, I did want to have him on the podcast. I wanted to, to you know, talk to all these codgers. <laughs> I didn't, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But, um, you know. I'll give you some raw footage you can sort through. Okay. <laughs> but he was nice, and he got back to me very quickly. Yeah, and, well. It, and, you know. Well, thank you. I mean, I, yeah. feel, that, I feel it's very beautiful, um, too. And I think a lot of that is Ed. I mean, it's interesting because I... I didn't own my, or I didn't like recognize myself as a cinematographer, even though I always wanted to do it mm-hmm. until this film. And it sort of was something that I had to do because Ed started to not be able to hold the camera. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but even, even though he had, str- he struggled with holding the camera. I mean, the tripod shots, the nature mm-hmm. shots are stunning. And he yeah. has one of the best, I mean, the gurney shot where he's lying on that, bed being wheeled into the operation room and he's doing that i mean it's so classic ed it's mm-hmm. such great cinematography he was really actually he shot a lot of other people's works so he was really talented mm-hmm. as a cinematographer too mm-hmm. so is that a that's a specific way of shooting i mean to be a cinematographer i mean you're carrying out a vision you may be the one to Present it to the director, or it may be something you arrive at with the director, I suppose, right? Right. It's a partic- particular style or look or right. what have you. Well, uh, he did a lot. He did a, he did a lot. It's not pointing and shooting. It's, no. It's, 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 a, it's a vision. Yeah, and he did a lot of mise-en-scene. He was right. able to really capture interesting moments where you would zoom where one cinematographer would zoom in on an emotional moment with someone Mm -hmm. maybe ed would zoom in on the cat Mm -hmm. i mean and you'd be i I remember when we first started working on the ground in katrina i was like what is he doing and then as i started to edit i mean i started to watch him and observe him and look at the footage i was stunned at how how much how well it worked how how, it it, yes You say you want a non-intimate relationship that feels like an intimate relationship. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Wait, did you turn this off? We turned it off. I did? Yeah. Were you filming me? I don't know. It's going to be different. You're not going to have the same abilities that you had. And I believe it was her idea to go ahead with this film. And, um... It was both our ideas. Well... Two days after they had found Susan, I went over to pick up Angus. Angus would shake all night long, and I'd sleep with him and hold him. This is my shrine of Susan and of Karen. It's one thing to learn that you have a terminal illness when you're 72. It's another thing to have your life taken early. You look for an explanation. You look for meaning. 
Well, gesture and light was it's, something that Ed often said, gesture and light. And these, right. And these guys really influenced narrative filmmaking, too, because now um, if you look at a lot of independent, especially in indie films, but I think even indie films or those types of documentaries influenced major budget films uh, because you see so many narrative films, documentary style, and also getting those kinds of moments. Mm-hmm. Just the cat, you know that 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 classic thing of just the the dog napping, or the cat, like for no better reason than, <laughs> you know, it's a, just a an inspired little moment, you know. But it 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 it's, it contributes to I don't know something really some dimension to to you know the look of a film and the feel of a film when you have that those moments and yeah. they don't have to mean something during you know as far as carrying the plot along or the growth. well they always were a metaphor. I felt like that's how often he shot, and for comic relief. I mean, I always like to say, that, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, uh, attention breaking moments too, yeah. right? In other words, no. And I, I've said like Ed once said to me, you know, every film I ever make is a comedy, and once you understand that, you'll understand everything. Mm-hmm. And then, I, then when we made Axe, I said the only comedic parts were us, but. People weren't laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, show you it. Know. Show it in a comedy yes. context next time. Show it like at a comedy festival. No, and recently I discovered this great quote by Chaplin, which is really resonating for me, especially as re- with regards to One Cut One Life, which is yeah, um, li- funny. I'm paraphrasing that, it. That's fine. But um, life seen in close-ups is a tragedy. But a comedy in long shots. Mm, okay, gotcha. You can well, see it's just sort of the internal. Yeah, yeah. there's an emotional, the external, right? Um, oh, the I long see. Term. But, but on a very right, but they're also in a very um, literal way. Yes, we, we have a very different response to a close-up when we're watching a close-up, but we get emotionally connected. Right. We're lo- okay. And a lot of one cut one life is yeah. shot up shot in close-ups. And uh, by the way, and just even the title is a very apt. This is, in, in essence, what we're talking about in terms of the style that you two, when you two collaborated especially, but even on your own work with uh, my father. What was it? My father, the genius. My father, the genius. That um, one cut is the film. One life is, well, life. And there's like, it's a metaphor, right, where you get one cut and you get one life. Mm-hmm. There's the film version and then there's the personal in mm-hmm. a way, you know, mm-hmm. and the two are kind of mm-hmm. right there sharing a same space and and likewise that's what we're kind of talking about is this way of of taking a film story and then adding sharing the space of of personal experience too does that make sense it does i mean i i want to also say that the term comes from an aikido expression which which ed explains in the film yeah 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 but it's sort of a a japanese sword Uh uh-huh right there's no real good translation of it i see so it's literally a cut because it's a yes, blade. Yes, because you have one chance. Everything yeah. has meaning. Right. Everything but I counts. Like, but I like how it's one one edit. You yes. have one shot at, not, no pun intended, but you have one shot. When you when you hand over that film, you have, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's got its life. And then it freezes. Right. And it's life. Yeah. And, and that's the tricky part of it because we go on. I mean, I've had my emotional reaction to the film. Jane's had her emotional reaction to the film. Again, Jane is uh, um, the, uh, the Ed's wife. audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has to, you know, and it changes. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's very interesting. Thank you for saying that about the cut. The, the 
title. We we liked the title, but now everyone says one life, one cut. What, wait, one life. Yeah. You know, so it's funny because we. So funny. You spend so much time trying to think about a title and what will work. And yeah. So. Well, one cut, one life. It's a. Uh, it's it. Uh, it's going to be in in New York. It's premiering theatrically on Wednesday, the thirteenth of, of May, and then it moves to uh, Boston, where you live. Well, Actually, a week later. No, no. It opens two Same days thing? later. Two day, oh, um, on Friday. So on you Friday. get to. So you'll be live and in person. At what theater in New York City? IFC or, Center. IFC Center. That's pretty nifty. It's amazing. They're I love people. their th- the theater. It's huge. It's oh, you got fantastic. a big room for the Wednesday and Thursday at least, right? Mm-hmm. And they're very a happy. lot of screenings. Yeah. Um, and and, the, and we're doing some special discussions, post discussions, right. which are exciting. On so Wednesday that's night why and Thursday, or? Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Oh, and so you're even, staying in New York? Yes, I'm staying till Saturday morning, and then oh. I go up to Boston Saturday the rest of the and. Week there. I'm there Saturday night, Sunday, and I come back down to New York for Monday what? and Tuesday and back? then back up to Boston for Wednesday. So, wait, Thursday. you're not going to be there for the premiere in Boston? What theater is it at Boston? Um, the Coolidge Corner Theater. The Coolidge Corner. Which is a beautiful theater. Yeah. Is it? Uh, you know, I used to live right over there when I lived in Boston yes, back in the in... 80s, and I lived a block away from on Harvard Street, right off Harvard Street, oh. on right by Coolidge Corner. And I, I, I'm sure I was in that theater well, the, back in the day, but they probably renovated it since. they renovated it it yeah. was pretty run apparently down. run down a lot of great pornos in there i know i'm just kidding i don't remember <laughs> okay. what they had there i think it might have even been a revival house for all i know i think it was but there was a big revamping i think in the mid 90s yeah. and they did a wonderful job with That's great. huge theater so yeah it's going to be at Boston on the 15th of, of, of May and uh, premiering theatrically in Boston. And I'll be there and then, Saturday night. I'll be there Sunday. There's actually a big um, event on Sunday, a special event honoring Ed's memory, legacy. Steve Asher, Rob Moss, and Michael Goldman are going to be speaking. His and then, disciples will be there. And then yeah. even in, in New York, we're going to have we'll, – we'll be joined by on the 13th mm-hmm. by Michelle Negroponte. Okay. And – um, who's doing these great video Vimeo postings? Oh, really? These short films that are just wonderful. Okay. Um, and he 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 said, "I want to avoid going to festivals. I just want to post the work that I'm doing, and they're they're fabulous." And so he's he he's going to living otherwise. That's he's going to be speaking along with Marco Williams. Okay. Um, and then Tom Roston is going to moderate. Oh. oh, sure, Tom. So I want to talk about the next night too because there's this yeah. star-studded cast. It's this is again in New York. This is in New York. It's Thursday night. It's like the, the seven, the, the seven fifteen screening. Yeah. Both are after the seven fifteen screening. Yes. And um, Nina Davenport, okay. Judith Helfand, and this feminist from NYU uh-huh. who does feminist theory and performance, um, Anne Pellegrini, uh-huh. and the moderator is John Anderson. Oh, sure. The John's critic. been on the show a couple um, times. So we're going to talk about female voice versus male voice and look at this experimentation that we're doing with, you know, two points of view in this film because yeah. that's pretty critical and talk about notions of power in terms of who's holding the camera. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to both Ed and me and Jane, sure. you know, so sort of looking and- at the looking at the various elements of female narration and 
where can people, you know, that just heard That's all this, at the IFC if they want to like go and write down stuff and organize themselves a little bit and they're interested, they can go to One Cut, One Life, the website. What, what they can go to the website. They can go to the IFC Center. The, those tickets are on sale right now. And then Friday night, we're being joined by a surprise guest, although she's announced Liz Giamatti, okay. who just made a film. Is that Paul's wife? It's Paul's ex-wife. Oh, it's true? Yes, oh, I didn't know that. People who haven't seen the film but don't understand don't understand the relevance of this. But I met her at a screening at the New York Film Festival, and she came up to me, and we kind of bonded. We bonded, and she just made a film with mm-hmm. Alex Sichel. Um, mm-hmm. She and I want to talk about creative collaboration, trauma, and loss, and how you know working with someone who has a time limit, or but also looking at the notion of trauma and loss and how you can heal through art. And I think a lot of Susan's Susan Wolf's friends are going to show up to that screening. So it's Wednesday night, Ed's Legacy. Thursday night, female gaze versus male gaze. And, G-A-Z-E. Yes. And, and Friday night, um, collaboration, trauma and loss. And then the following Tuesday at IFC, we're going to be speaking with a woman, Judith Schwartz, who mm-hmm. specializes in end-of-life, quality-of-life discussions mm-hmm. and issues um, which is a big theme in the film so I'm excited about all these people coming out and yeah it's a great way talking. to curate your theatrical yeah kind of need to to make it interactive like yes that, I think I think that's what I started to sense is like I mm-hmm. you know the film is so what, layered I mean, yeah. and has so many topics and so many themes and all of these themes I think about yeah and I wanted to sort of take separate nights to sort of focus tease, tease them out yeah in a way with with your with other people but i think it's a great form and i mean i do think we have to rethink the theatrical in this way because you know otherwise what, what incentive do people have to go to a theater anymore when they, they can, don't very they much. can watch watch it uh, at home easily just as easily yeah. so on itunes and i feel very uh, grateful that all these very yeah um talented people are going to be talking and talking about these these various issues i, I I'm, I'm very excited about it um and grateful when jane jane is she she's supporting the film in any uh vocal way or um yes okay yeah all right i mean she, she's still very very um sensitive and very raw for her probably yes so as she says in the film she wants to support creativity. She does not right. want to thwart it, but she's ambivalent about... Sure. Well, it makes sense. And it, it's carried through, and there's still, I think, it becoming more public again. It's mm-hmm. bringing up some issues, and, you know, right. she doesn't have Ed to process it with mm-hmm. right. anymore, or even at the end, mm-hmm. and it's difficult. Right. Well, I recommend if you're listening and you're interested in what we're talking about, to also go back and listen to our prior segment we did a few, um, like last fall or whenever it was, because... It was last fall. It's germane without having to bring back all the specifics of of these complex friendships. Right. But they were described in greater detail also in the lab. And I think it's a really an amazing conversation that we had that time as well. And go check out One Cut, One Life if you're you're living in New York area or Boston area. And then we'll see from there, right? I assume if there's any other... Uh, it's opening up in L.A. What? June 12th. Okay. June 12th. For right. a week. Are you going to go there? I am going there. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of family out in the, on the West Coast, and it's been Terrific. a while since I've seen them. Oh, so, good. so you know, this is the testing ground. A Got lot yeah. rides on how this does, and yeah. and you know, we're not going to be um, doing the panels in LA, but we're going to see how the two models work mm-hmm. and 
propose it to other cities after we have the numbers, after we have the reviews, yeah. and we'll see. I just wanted to um, – I was hugely happy that First Run Features wanted to mm-hmm. program this it's film because it's, it's not an obvious right. commercial <laughs> success. Um, but they it's believed a, in the film, yeah. Well, and they I, understood its importance, and they and it's been so wonderful, yeah, to have their their expertise. Sure. You know, everyone says self distribution, self distribution, and I'm no. I've done self distribution, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful to have non self non self. I mean, I, do, I still do a ton of work, but yeah, non self distribution. I mean, right. having self, having their right. expertise and also their fair. It means just that you have someone who's got an infrastructure there you can take advantage of. If it's a big yeah, um, uh, yeah, of and they've been doing it for thirty years and, yeah, or more, great... and and they're you know the newer model of social media, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. They have some younger people helping mm-hmm. with that and expand right. that, but they they have a decent model in terms of let's not overspend, let's not you know let's try to be smart mm-hmm. about this, yeah, and see how it flies. Well, thank you for that commercial because they are sponsoring the segment of the show they as well. Are. Oops. And if you okay. fact, no, no, no. All right. And if you go to FilmWax. They didn't tell me to do that. I know. And if you go to <laughs> FilmWaxRadio.com, uh, there's actually a banner ad of One Cut, One Life right there when you look at the website. I'll show oh, it to okay. you. And okay. you can click on that and it will take you not to your personal One Cut, One Life page, but to their their page, which also probably has details about the film that are... Oh, people might lots, all the panels, yeah. all the... Okay, all the, it'll be on their They're all too. on there. Actually... There you go. Thanks, Lucia. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And you'll come back again anytime. Thanks.